This is the Conscious Economics Podcast. Your co-hosts are two women who found themselves in careers on Bay Street, but decided that there was something missing. So here we are. I'm Rhiannon Roseland. I'm your co-host and the CEO of the Economic Club of Canada. I'm also the co-founder of Conscious Economics. Hi, I'm Asil, the CEO of Conscious Economics and a financial therapist. Now, we call ourselves economic healers, and that is a term that I'm sure nobody has heard before, but we really believe that if we want to heal our systems and create a more equitable society, it starts with actually healing our relationship with money and the economy. When you join us on this podcast, you'll be exposed to courageous conversations that help us examine, heal, and redefine the relationship we have with money. Join us on this journey as we co-create a new economy together. What's up, Conscious Economics peeps? This is your co-host, Estelle, with another episode of Conscious Economics. Yes, and I am here, co-host Rhiannon, um, and we are going to be talking today about something that isn't really talked about very often, but is very, very common, and that is wealth guilt. So what is wealth guilt? Essentially, it's when people who have wealth feel guilty about it, and that's something you don't necessarily expect because the average person thinks that everybody would want more wealth or everybody would desire to have more wealth but actually some people who do have a lot of shame around that and yeah. we're here to explore layers to why that is 100 i was reflecting on a couple of weeks ago the met gala happened and the met gala is where you know a bunch of celebrities and you know public figures and folks and artists come together and it's really about the fashion and about the statement and the really the art of the fashion and alexandria ocasio-cortez mm-hmm. came in a dress that had tax the rich Mm -hmm. on it and it was quite a statement piece and it was also quite a statement piece because that's who's at the Met Gala is the some of the wealthiest and richest people so for her to walk through that space with that message on and you know I it made me think about wealth guilt when I saw this because I think that especially right now with everything that's happening in society, more and more we're we're seeing the rise of people feeling very, very frustrated with the inequalities of our society. And a lot of the times a lot gets thrown on to people that have generated wealth Mm -hmm. as the cause of these issues. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, very uncomfortable thing. And of course, there's the, you know, multi-billion zillionaire folks, you know, the 1%. But even people who are, I don't even know, like making, you know, not to that level, but sometimes a normal salary in some ways experience wealth guilt. Sure. Yes. And and actually, I'm going to discuss that because even what is your definition of wealthy or what is your definition of ultra wealthy? I mean, what, what is that threshold? And it's going to be a different answer depending on your bringing and your perspectives on life and the type of, sur- or t- maybe even the country you live in that contributes um, to the answer you give. So I think a helpful angle for us to start from, because I have a lot to share on this topic, is let's explore the sources of wealth first. Mm-hmm. So the sources of wealth, first of all, you can be born into wealth. Mm-hmm. Second, you can have a financial windfall. Mm-hmm. And third, you can create and accumulate wealth uh, along your way. Yes. So each of those creates a different type of guilt and shame associated with it. So mm-hmm. let's explore each separately. First, can I guess which one is the worst wealth guilt? 
Uh, yeah, you can guess that. Is it the is it the people that are born into the wealth that have the worst guilt about it? Uh, I don't think so. I think really, yeah, I think it's a financial windfall, and I'll tell you why. Because financial windfalls sometimes happen uh, with insurance or uh, settlements, and often that means the loss of a loved one. Uh, and I dealt a lot uh, with that when I was a financial planner. I see. People like they get either inheritance or an insurance money that gets paid in a big lump sum and it's a, it causes a sudden wealth for somebody. But because it's uh, the loss of loved one that causes that, there's mm. so much guilt and shame wrapped up with mm-hmm. that scenario. Uh, that makes a lot of sense actually. For some reason, when I thought of the windfall, I thought of like winning the lottery. Yes, which is the least common one though. Yeah, but, yeah. makes sense now that you say it but for some reason that was the one that I thought of and then I was like what's what's the prob you know you just you bought that two dollar ticket and now you got a couple mil and that's why I think everyone blows it because it's like blah 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 like you know yeah there's this thing about mental accounting and that means depending on how wealth comes into your life it dictates what you do with it so Mm. it's you act very differently when you win something or get something unexpectedly versus if you work hard for it and all these things contribute to the emotions underlying the money in our life which is really what we're talking about here so but let's backtrack and really explore each of these three different categories because this shame and guilt really has altered based on how wealth came into our life to begin with okay so the first one we were exploring is born into wealth and i feel um, that that one is actually becoming more so the case uh, as the general consensus globally uh there's a lot of hate towards ultra rich and uh, so a lot of the guilt associated with this category is feeling that you have something that others don't which Mm -hmm. is truly the case Mm -hmm. feeling uh, a lot of unfairness and injustice in that specific disparity which is also the case Mm -hmm. and feeling like you didn't have to do anything to get the money and therefore that you don't deserve it as a result of that Um, there's also guilt associated because of the potential control associated with that wealth or associated with that, um, expectation. Like we're off, like usually it's a parent child dynamic. Mm -hmm. So because we're giving you all this luxury, we're now expecting these things from you. So that creates a guilt and shame around it as well. And lastly, uh, it's the transmuting of this guilt from the parents to the kids especially if the parents themselves are ambivalent or uh, guilty about their wealth or maybe mm-hmm. the ways they've had to accumulate their wealth mm-hmm. they pass that guilt onto their mm-hmm. kids subconsciously so so interesting i had a boyfriend when i was younger um, who had a tremendous amount of wealth guilt he was born into a extremely wealthy family like very extremely wealthy and his whole life he sort of rejected it mm-hmm. in every possible way including even what he ended up doing with his career and the way he became an activist and I think he honestly dated me as part of that like rebellion, rebellion. <laughs> yeah because I was obviously growing up in the, the total opposite environment and I remember we were really young so like your mom still had to pick you up from the movie theater kind of thing um, and I remember when his parents came to pick him up from my house to be like who's this girl that our son is spending all this time with and when they saw the home that we were living in like I could just see it like written all over her face that she was kind of mortified about it but he it was just so ingrained in him that he wanted to kind of reject this and it's it's interesting and and I've felt 
wealth guilt. And I don't even know that I was that wealthy when I was experiencing it. But I just finally, when the tables turned and I was generating, you know, a healthy income, I felt very much, I've said this before on the podcast, like I needed to give it away or I needed to prove that I'm not a different person now. I'm still Jenny from the block. I'm not (laughs) a different person now just because I've, you know, quote unquote made it and that my values around equity and social justice and all these things are, are the same. And so, it's it's really difficult. I wonder, one of the theories I have is kids that are born into wealthy families sometimes have a, a very emotional, distant relationship with their parents because parents in that environment tend to be workaholics, yeah. uh, tend to be, you know, hire nannies to, to do a lot of the child rearing uh, work. So kids ultimately resent the wealth because they associated with our parents are not there for us. I'm not good enough. My parents don't love me or don't want me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because these things are constantly reinforced by having other people take care of them or having their parents not even around mm-hmm. or also having money being shoved in their face anytime they have a need and be like, yeah. you know, I don't have time for you, but, here, but here's go, the go, money. Here's yeah. the money. So I think all these different layers create that the resentment to that wealth to begin with it's a huge source of you know yeah psychological yes. like despair addiction like I've seen a lot of a lot of people that have yes. struggled really badly yes. coming from that but another layer to it is I think people who are born in that environment and I've seen that in clients as well is wondering do I have what it takes to create money if I wasn't born in, in, in a wealthy scenario so am I am I not like deserving is one element of it but am I capable am I good enough Mm -hmm. am I smart enough am I gonna measure up to you know my father's expectation or my mom's expectations um you know like if my parents are lawyers and doctors and usually have you know very successful entrepreneurs or whatever um who would I have been if I was just born in a average environment or like mm-hmm. below average environment mm-hmm. would I would I have made it on my own type mm-hmm. of thing because mm-hmm. all your success at, in that environment is attributed to your parents to success. that yeah um yeah. 100% I think that happens a lot too when you see like celebrity children yes so you know your mom's a famous movie star and now you're coming out into the scene and they're like ah you're only there because yeah, you know your mom, your mom was famous yeah. but I actually think those people have it harder because they're just being judged you know yeah. tremendously and more. that's why we need to ex- exercise compassion because whether you have money you have a different host of problems and when you have money you just have a different host of challenges and regardless where you fall on that spectrum because of all these associations that we talk about uh we do need to give space and and exercise compassion when we're dealing and throwing our own judgments onto well, people and like they said more money more problems yeah <laughs> more yeah. money more problems Sometimes we want to change that case. though yeah i don't i don't necessarily think it's true um it's it's more um, i just think everybody has problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well, lack of awareness around money creates problems yeah. is, is what i really think because 100%. when we start really believing that more money is more problems on some level we're going to reject having more money and yeah. if we do we want to get rid of it well, and speak to anyone yeah. who's struggling with money and they'll tell you that that's a problem and that yeah. there are so much associated with it. But I love the piece that you said about compassion and that's something that we're really about at Conscious Economics is bringing all types of folks from all different backgrounds, from all different socioeconomic status together because we can actually realize that we're more the same than we are different and mm-hmm. that each of us have challenges that we deal with and each of us have beautiful qualities 
ways that we have to, you know, put forward as well. So hold that thought. We have a quick word from our partners before going back to the episode. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by expert human advisors, RBC Investees is a smart, online, automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvestees.com slash getinvesting and sign up using promo code AA407. And now back to the episode. Yeah. So the next one we alluded to earlier is the financial windfall. Yeah. And like I said, there's a whole bunch of different guilt associated with that one for a whole bunch of different reasons. We already talked about potentially losing loved ones in the process, but let's explore winning the lottery or, or, you know, sudden wealth from wherever it comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the reasons there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with that is because it removes you entirely from the environment that you are usually surrounded by. Mm. Your house changes, your neighborhood changes, your community changes. And your identity changes along the way. So there's a lot of guilt associated because sometimes you're leaving people behind. Yes. Yeah. No, I I really didn't think about um, obviously the piece that you brought up about inheriting wealth because you lost a loved one. And I can only imagine that if that's the source of a major windfall, because the other thing that happens for people that just get a sudden windfall is it's so sudden. So you actually didn't have time to prepare yourself, your life, your body for this. It's not like it was something that you were working towards over time. So it really is sudden. And there's all of these mixed ideas around what wealth means. And one of the things that I know happens to so many people is all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodwork asking for things, asking for, you know, support, this, that, the other. And it can be very, very overwhelming as well. And then there's guilt and shame associated if you say no or if you, you know, don't don't know what to do with your mm-hmm. wealth. And mm-hmm. also where do you go? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the last one is obviously uh, creating wealth along the way. Uh, but uh, but on that, I really want to just give you a short history of wealth guilt and how it all started anyway. Okay. So the flashy appearance of wealth really started around the 1980s. So really not that long ago. I was really surprised to hear that. Really? And it started in the era where city brokers and Greek shipping magnates popularized the super yacht and technology. And that became the status symbol. Mm. And eventually it became even more globalized because of the Russians and the Arabs. And that's around privatization of and, and oil, mm-hmm. um, essentially, when they started really flashing mansions and jets. And that's now what started permeating what the luxurious rich life looks like. And that's really what started uh, the movement that everybody wanted to aspire to be rich because now it's associated with being cool and with mm-hmm. being more worthy and more wanted and more desired and all these different things associated. Mm-hmm. But what happened is after 2008 where the global recession took place and the pockets of not just the average person, but also the rich people were impacted, obviously. All of a sudden, there was a big shift in rich was no longer cool for Mm -hmm. some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And that specific uh, guilt around that started being 
even more reinforced when there's like riots happening around the injustices around there's more awareness on the systemic injustices along the way as well mm-hmm. um, but there was also a report that was released by the credit Suisse that said the top one percent uh, of people around the world originally held 42.6 percent of wealth uh, but now it's even rising. So so the the disparity, the disparity is even keeps increasing. Getting bigger. Yeah. So now it's about forty seven percent. It's increased five percent since that report. And there was another uh, thing I would mention is that the rich obviously have uh, are becoming ostracized. Ostracized. Yeah. I knew I wasn't gonna mm-hmm. be saying that properly. <laughs> and essentially, the there was a Oxfam's report that said the thing that's really making them what's that word again? Ostracized. Yes, is because the increase of their pockets is equated with taking away from public services and social protection uh, upon the poorest and most vulnerable. So people Mm -hmm. automatically associate that if you are becoming richer, Mm -hmm. somebody else is being worse off as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not this association is true is is irrelevant. It's perception at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And that it's very interesting because even recently, obviously, given we live in Canada, there's lots of election uh, talks happening in households and between people. And there was one of the parties that are running here in Canada, their slogan is like, I'm going to tax the rich and I'm going to do all these things. And you start thinking about these layers to it and mm-hmm. w- what that means. And one of the uh, debates that started in my household recently in my family is like, should billionaires even be legal? Mm. Uh, because, you know, no matter how much you work in your life, can you even accumulate a billion dollars? I mean, the rise of social media and things like that created that possibility. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the billions weren't necessarily created in the last decade or, or, or even two decades. It's really generational wealth that was passed from ancient times ago. And that is really built on the shoulders of colonization, slavery, and all these social injustices mm-hmm. that took place. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, like, we can get easily lost in the weeds when we start exploring these issues from these angles and these layers. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a really, really difficult time in the world because, as you mentioned, the disparity between the rich and poor is only increasing. But I would say that there's a lot of things that aren't normal household topics of conversation, like the way that our monetary, (laughs) (laughs) the way that our monetary policy system is, especially in North America. Um, And when we moved away from the gold standard, there is no finite amount of wealth on the planet, like it they they print money yeah yeah (laughs) so that's a really interesting piece to the situation so a lot of a lot of it and I know that the reality is that we're seeing this massive disparity and that there's so much that we need to rework within our systems social and economic systems in order to address these these issues and they are pervasive yeah but one thing that I do know is that when us or see look I'm already siding with that I'm not the wealthy I'm like us folks over here and it's interesting though that there's so much hate and there's so much that we're consumed with kind of projecting onto the wealthy that we kind of forget that we also want that as well though of course you know and it's really one of the beautiful not that we want to be like billionaires necessarily but we want most of us want more health and financial freedom in our lives yet we hate or like despise those who have it yes well I have a few statistics to share Mm. with you quickly but one quote that came to mind as you said that is 
is despising the rich is one way to ensure staying poor. Mm. Um, I forgot who said it, but it was a very interesting realization that I uh, started when my earlier, because I, I grew up, my dad was a communist. So like speaking of despising the rich was very much ingrained in our uh, household. Upbringing. It was ingrained in my household too. Yeah, like yeah for different reasons, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's because it's, it is associated with injustice and uh, greed and selfishness and all these things. But ironically, third of the, uh, this, this study was done in, America not in Canada but really Canada and America have more or less similar North American type of uh, demographics I would say so they did a survey and third of the rich people which in that category was people who had from a million to 20 million said they actually hated their wealth mainly because of how one third of those said they hated their wealth yeah because of how judged they felt because of it yeah I know a lot of people who feel very very embarrassed and shameful about the yeah. money that they have and they try to hide it they had to they try to hide it which was really interesting because even there was a trend on Instagram called the rich kids on off Instagram and I didn't even realize this was a trend because you do hear about this kid who was like eight years old making more money than I ever will yeah um on TikTok on TikTok exactly the algorithms are working for uh, them. so so that trend no longer is cool anymore it used to be like so cool but now people have a lot of resentment towards it but uh, but the other study i wanted to show you is a survey by y plus which is a market research firm and they found that 81 percent of 13 to 34 years old say that showing off things on instagram is no longer cool so even though there was a trend of the rich kids of instagram that was very popularized now the younger generation is really starting to shy away from that and it's no longer cool to wear a shirt that's blingy or to show finally shopping vintage is cool and now we're all safe (laughs) i wish this was the way it was when i was growing up in school it would have been so much easier yes there's definitely a cultural shift for sure that's happening Uh, there's a general disdain towards materialism and and we're starting to see a culture that's shying away from really strong displays of wealth at least in certain areas i wouldn't say it's happening in dubai yet but although like (laughs) i mean it's so interesting i went into a department store a few weeks ago and um it was a very very high-end department store and i literally will not be buying one single thing in there but i just was looking around and it was so interesting because a lot of the designer shoes are like they're super super expensive like thousands of dollars but they're like dirty like they're made to look like dirty and like super worn in and like as if you were like skateboarding around town for however long so it's like it's so interesting that even that now it's like it's cool to look like you're not wealthy but you're still gonna buy all of the things so that you can look the cool way to look not to be like we are still in such a materialistic society where we've commodified everything including like I just was reading an article the other day there's a new show that's coming out and it's called The Activist and it's like a basically reality TV show with six activists that are all activists in different categories like education environment whatever and they compete with each other to see who can get the most like social media likes and then get a panel of judges to vote and the one who gets the most receives money for their cause and there's been a huge backlash against this of the commodification now of a essentially activism which takes 
it just it's such an interesting time and irony almost yeah but there is so much hypocrisy in so much of it still um because i know people who have a tremendous amount of wealth that like cultivate the image of the not so wealthy thing but they're still like paying for that there's so many ways we can go and honestly this conversation to bring it back to you the listener is is a very personal one like anytime I go shopping whether it's online shopping or going to a mall I always want to ask myself who am I buying this for this is a really good question I ask myself anytime I buy something is it really for me or is it for the people around me or is it for a specific uh extrinsic you know cause that i'm buying this for um so just reflect on your purchases all the time that's how you can infuse mindfulness in your purchasing is by asking do i need it or do i want it you know is it a need or is it a want is it for me or is it really for other reasons if no one's ever gonna know about this purchase would i still want it and Mm -hmm. just starting to infuse this type of training your mind to think about this makes your purchasing power more intentional mm-hmm. um, and really strips you away from the guilt and the shame associated with wealth and with money and all, all these different categories but honestly we can talk for hours uh, but we do need to wrap up this episode and like I said my invitation is to take what you can from this and think about how can I now implement these findings in my life how can I implement a more intentional healthy way of valuing uh, money but in a way that really is an alignment an expression of who I am versus getting lost in the weeds of all this really um, negative emotion I would say absolutely so thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you again next week on conscious economics check out our website www.consciouseconomics.ca to find out more about our organization This podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments. At CPP Investments, they never lose sight of the long term. They invest the Canadian Pension Plan Fund to help provide financial security for generations of Canadians. They diversify the CPP fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians, visit cppinvestments.com.